Radio advertising is good. Why should you advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340? Well, it's simple. We are a local radio station with local shows that target our local communities and local listeners. We have a variety of shows that cover a multitude of informative and interesting topics, such as automotive and boating, real estate and finance, health and medical, politics and law, sports and fishing, pet care, and more. While we are even home to Imus in the Morning, we also have shows about comedy, food and dining, religion, fashion, local community events and activities and a variety of music. Talk radio provides a listening format that appeals to a large cross-section of people. Whether you are you're in your car, at work, at home, everyone has a radio. And we are streamed live on the Internet. And past shows are podcasted so you, the listener, can play back your favorite shows over and over again. The possibilities are endless. So that, my listeners, is why you should advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. South, East, West, America awaits the car of tomorrow, the dynamic Oldsmobile, the futuramic Oldsmobile. It's here, Mr. and Mrs. America, the car of tomorrow. From the distinctive hood and windshield to the sweeping contours of rear windows and bumpers, the Oldsmobile of 1948 carries forward the Oldsmobile tradition of product perfection and the greatest values. Futuramic and dynamic. They're new and different, all right. Dynamic and futuramic. There's definitely a family resemblance in all of them. Those headlights are what get me. You can backseat drive there, honey, in solid comfort. Did you ever see anything smarter than those instruments altogether? Very practical, too. Plenty of space back here. Yes, and the carpet will protect the luggage. Whatever is all that color doing running around there? Oh, that shows how Oldsmobile's 100% full-pressure lubrication forces oil to 
A, crankshaft bearings, B, camshaft bearings, C, the connecting rod bearings, D, the piston pin bearings, and E, up to the cylinder walls. You don't say. And then the... Hmm? If it's economy you're after, you'll find Oldsmobile's high-compression engine is designed to develop full power from every drop of gasoline. Safety's the thing. Safety's important. It's the last word in luxury. I'd like to get in and just drive it away. No gears to shift? That's right, darling. Futuramic and dynamic. Yes, Mr. and Mrs. America, the Oldsmobile of 1948 is the dynamic and futuramic last word in luxury. Bridging frontiers of the future, the Oldsmobile of 1948 is the miracle car of tomorrow. And it's here today. Listeners, hey, welcome, and you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, we got a great show for you again tonight. I have a very special guest, a very notable guest. We're going to play a few vintage songs. I hope you enjoyed that little commercial I did here a few minutes ago here with the uh, old Oldsmobile. So from time to time, I'll play some of those cool old car commercials because uh, it's kind of groovy digging through those uh, old archives and stuff like that. And let's see what else we got. Hey, Bill, how are you doing tonight? Bill's waving at me tonight because his mic's not on. There he goes. He's strapping on his headset, so he should be there. What do you got for us tonight, Bill, on the uh, tape recorder? Or no, yes, this, this is the old phonograph. That's how old this song is that's coming up, right? I am strapping on my microphone. You're strapping on your microphone. <laughs> Since when you strap on microphones? When I listen to the Andrews Sisters. <laughs> okay. Super. Trumpet man from all Chicago way. He had a boogie style that no one else could play. He was a top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. They made him blow a bugle for his uncle Sam. It really brought him down because he couldn't jam. The captain seemed to understand. Because the next day the cap went out and drafted a band And now the company jumps when he plays Reveille He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B A toot, a toot, a toot-de-la-da, toot-de-blow-se-day to the bar In boogie rhythm, he can't blow a note unless the bass and guitar is playing with him He makes the company jump when he plays Reveille He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B He was a Boogie bugle boy of Company B. And when he plays boogie boogie bugle, he was busy as a buzz bee. And when he plays, he makes the company jump into the bar. He's a boogie boogie bugle boy of Company B. Do 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 da da do do da da do do. He blows it to the bar. He can't blow a note if the bass and guitar isn't with Company jumps when he plays Reveille. He's a boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. Boogie 
boogie every night and wakes them up the same way in the early bright. They clap their hands and stamp their feet because they know how he plays when someone gives him a beat. He really breaks it up when he plays reveille. He is the boogie boogie bugle bop company B. Hey, we're back and we're live. Okay. Hey, Bill, how you doing? You forgot my switch. <laughs> anyway, hey, I want to tell everybody that uh, next week, next week, it will be the one-year anniversary of my little radio show here. So, uh, oh, every- wait a minute, one week? It, it'll be one week for your little radio show. Let me see. Let me have my. That's one- next week. That's the 18th on the evening of the 18th. Oh, so let me practice. Hold on. Practice. Say it again. Say it again. the one-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, this uh, song that was just played here, Yeah, there's a lady on the phone, and she played one of the Andrews sisters in a, in a play just recently in Los Angeles, and it had a big write-up in, 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 in the paper if you want to say hello to her. I'll say hello just for a second. Sure. Uh, all right. Her name is, uh, Car- uh, what is it, Carmelita? Yes. And what, where was this play at that you were in and where you played an Andrews sister? At the White Fire Theater in uh, um, the Valley. And where was it written up at? In what newspaper? Uh, we, we, we've got several reviews. The only one that I can think of right offhand was L.A. Weekly. Oh, the, and, that was, and that was last year. And she, and she does a thing where, for Cancer Society, right, or something like that? Well, well, I'm the founder and executive director of the Rose Breast Cancer Society. We're getting ready to have our 13th annual Rose Variety Art Show this year. Uh, and that's going to be at the Sportsman's Lodge in Studio City on May 22nd. That's on a Sunday. Oh wow, that's in Los Angeles, though. Yeah, that's three thousand miles away. Well, maybe they, maybe she might be able to get you, <laughs> she might be able to get your show out there in Los Angeles. You never know. You never know. Well, I want to thank you for listening and thank you for calling. And you know what? We need to hook her up with Buddy Verdi because you know he does a lot of that that kind of music, that uh, classic swing stuff and uh, the uh, early jazz through the thirties and forties and fifties. So wow, she, hopefully she'll listen to that show because uh, Buddy plays a lot of that good old music. So wow. anyway, thank her for calling. So that's thank, great. Anyway, let's back to our show here real quick. Anyway, back to the anniversary thing. Where's the applause thing? Do that again there for me. Shh, come on. There we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that's at Naughty Nancy's, and that's at 700 Eldred Street, which is right behind the radio studio over here off of uh, Myrtle, which is a quarter mile north of Drew Street on the left. 706 is our address. And uh, it starts at 6 o'clock, and we'll be doing a live remote show. So I'm going to have a lot of my listeners over there, and a lot of my, maybe a few of my former guests that will be on there. Um, I wish more people could show up because uh, more of my guests, but they're scattered all over the country, so that'll be a little difficult. But anyway, they're all invited to listen and tune in. And, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, it is, mm, yeah, it's open mic night tonight at Naughty Nancy's. And, of course, it is open mic night every Wednesday at uh, Naughty Nancy's. So bring your guitar, your tambourine, your ukulele, or whatever else you got, or your voice, and just uh, hang out and eat some good chow and meet some interesting people and have a good time. Anyway. This weekend, we got SCCA event down at Homestead. Okay, that's the 14th and the 15th. Okay, there is a the regular SCCA races are going to be take place, but there's going to be the vintage races. Now, they always the, the SCCA races are run all over the country pretty much, and they're all over the state. In fact, I had one at Daytona last week. But the vintage races, which is kind of since we're a nostalgic radio 
and cars. So the old cars is what I try to promote here a little bit. So the vintage races will be at Homestead this weekend. So if anybody's got uh, some extra time and they want to run down to Homestead, which is Miami, and uh, hang out at the racetrack down there, you can watch some really cool, wicked vintage race cars. Usually there's about 60, 70 cars that show up. So it's a pretty good selection of cars. And this weekend also and Sunday down in Pinellas Park off Park Boulevard at Home Depot, there's going to be the Home Depot Car Show. So if you guys are local here and you want to go to that. And then on Sunday, we have the uh, Biff Burger. They have also their anniversary show. That's Sunday the 15th. So if you really you – know, a lot of the, the local people probably know about that, but we'll give them a plug anyway. That's a Biff Burger's anniversary show this Sunday the 15th. Also, if you're over in the uh, Wesley Chapel area, they have the Pig Fest car show i don't know why they selected that name but let's call the pig fest i guess they got a huge barbecue going on over there and that's a charity uh car show and it's over at saint mark's catholic church if you want to get a hold of those guys our number is 1-813-907-3010-813-907-3010 you know of course we are at live radio show so i do have a tendency to trip and stumble over words and that's only because a lot of times i'm just trying to cram so much in a show in a short period of time, because we do only have about 53 to 54 minutes of show. Anyway, uh, we got a really, really fascinating guest this evening. Uh, we're going to go to a couple little commercials real quick, and then we got a couple more clips for you, another cool song, and then I will introduce our fascinating, legendary guests this evening. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Hey, we're back. We're live. This is Robert at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Actually, on. I'm not sure. At on. You know, what do they, what do they call that? That's called a conjunction or something like that. Anyway, hey, my uh, next guest, okay, is, uh, let me tell you about this guy. He's been, uh, uh, hey, Bill, turn that down just a tad, please. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, 
I love music, and uh, I mean, this time, it kind of blows real hard in my ears here sometimes. So anyway, we got this cool song coming up, and we are going to. Uh, well, anyway, back to my my guest here. This guy has been uh, around for a long time. He's um, well known. He's been on TV. He's been a reporter for CBS. He's covered NASCAR. He was a commentator on the TNN show uh, American Sports Cavalcade. He's a notable author. Uh, he's been in the automobile industry. He's a notable car collector as well. And uh, he's also written a number of books in the industry. And uh, we're going to have him on in a few seconds here. I think uh, Bill's trying to get him on the phone here real quick. Are we on? Okay, good. Anyway, and uh, he's most notable. Uh, well, I want to say he's done a number of things, but he's probably most well-known for the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. I think I finally said that right. I've I've had a few guests on in the past, and I've mentioned that event because some of these other guests have been involved with this as well. Um, I'd like to welcome to the show the editor-at-large, former editor-at-large of Car Driver Magazine. I'd like to welcome Brock Yates and his lovely wife and sidekick, Pam, to the radio show. You guys there? Yes, we are. How you doing this evening? Good evening. Hey, How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? It's last. I just saw you here not too long ago. What is about three, four months ago at uh, Amelia Island, which was a great show, oh. right? That's great. I uh, first met you there. I think probably. Well, actually, I met you at some other venues, but I met you uh, and I had an opportunity to talk with you for a while in 1999. Was the first time, so that's almost 12 years ago. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you've been judging Amelia Island for how long? Fifteen years, something like that. Fifteen years. Wow. Yeah, I was uh, 11 years old when I started. 11 years old. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just a few years. Uh, well, I, I, I could, I could, uh, I could relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to disclose their age anymore. After once you cross like 25, then we're all we start kind of backwards. We go back to 15, and then we go back up. Right? Is that how that works? <laughs> No, 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 no. I was a lot older than that when I stopped counting. <laughs> oh, okay. I got a couple. Uh, I don't know if you caught. How long have you been listening to the show? Did you catch it early? Because I played a couple clips on the uh, or a clip on the an old car commercial for you guys, and then I got another clip. Bill, are you there? You got that other little clip? Going to pay for me? I want you guys to listen to this because this is kind of fun. Okay. Sorry about that um, little lapse, officer. Normally I drive right around the speed limit. We all make mistakes, miss, but 160? That's a little more than a lapse. What the hell is going on here? Everybody's driving like maniacs. I don't know, officer. Let me see your driver's license, please. What the hell? I can't penalize nice girls like you for a little indiscretion. Uh, with the whole road packed with speed crazy lunatics. <laughs> there. You girls have a nice trip. Drive carefully and uh, take it easy. Thank and you. <laughs> come back and see us next year. Bye. Take care. Keep it in the road. <laughs>
All right, we're back. You guys still there? Yep. All right, does that ring a bell, that one? No, you know, it's really pathetic, Robert, that our whole lives can be summed up in that cut. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I got a better one. Hey, Bill, roll the next one for us real quick. No, this one's even better, because this is the one I want you guys to elaborate on. Hi, guys. What's up? What's up? Huh? You guys are running 120. Your little lights are flashing all over the place. That's what's up. We got a patient in there. You were still speeding. Ah. She's, uh, she's very sick. Oh. Well, there's not a hospital within 50 miles of this place. Where are you headed? UCLA. UCLA. UCLA Medical Center. L.A. California. Now, this is going to sound like a dumb question, but if she's that sick, why didn't you fly her? Why didn't we fly her? I'm just a driver. We have to ask the doc. No. That's a good idea. Why don't we ask the doc? Sorry. 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 What is this crude interruption? Uh, the, the patient, uh, why can't she be flown to California? Sis, on the walls of her lungs. Very rare. You see, airplanes are only pressurized at 10,000 feet. Now, anybody knows anything about medicine knows that she can't fly. She has to be driven. Or we couldn't even go through Denver. It's so high. Tell him to go back and pick up Mr. Boyd. Is that lady all right? She's in great pain. Cause her to make certain delirious... <laughs> Sounds like she's on something to me. Well, let me explain something to you. We have to get the senator's wife to California in 72 hours. You understand what I'm saying? We, ha we have to get the senator's wife to California in 72 hours. We're very close. Well, as long as you're in New Jersey... I want you fellas to take it easy. You got that? We sure do. Thanks a lot. Get this rig out of here. I'm glad there's no cupcakes like that in New Jersey. You haven't met my brother-in-law, Ralph. All right, we're back, right? Robert? Yes. Now, what do you think about that one? <laughs> well, we remember it well. <laughs> so t go ahead and elaborate, because we were at Amelia Island when you guys were up there doing the Cannonball uh, uh, seminar thing. There's some truth to this se segment, this this uh, this scene, correct? The whole thing is true. Yeah. yeah that... we, we, we obviously uh, winged a lot a little bit, but uh, yeah, they're all true. They're all true. All they're all true. It's true in the... Um... Basically, the scene happened as is, and Hal and Brock were driving, and they were screaming at each other because they didn't have any any knowledge, pre knowledge of how to run the lights and the sirens, and the <laughs> so they were turning everything on and off. And I was the patient, and there was a real doctor with us, and the troopers really did pull us over. And the scene is is pretty much verbatim, except for the shtick of <laughs> what really happened. And we met those troopers 20 years later when Brock released the Cannonball book and we had a signing. We connected with them, and they turned out to be absolutely great guys. Great guys. And they uh, were telling the same story we were telling it tw for 20, 20 years. 20 years. And we never met each other, but they knew they'd been taken. <laughs> and they were terrific guys. Yeah, they really were. So, Brock, how did, that, uh, how did this Sea to Shining Sea 
Uh, Cannonball Baker Run uh, Trophy Dash. How did that all come about? What was uh, there's a little history behind that too, as well, right? Well, yeah, the uh, with Car and Driver uh, started. Well, I, w- I was working with Car and Driver at the time, and uh, we uh, and Nader. You remember Nader? Oh, a guy by the name of Ralph Nader, who uh, the yeah. unsafe at any speed. Yeah, remember that guy? So, uh, and when he was running, he was up at speed at that time, and uh, and yeah, on a fifty-five mile never speed limit. Remember that? I remember that. Nineteen seventy-three actually is when that came about. Seventy-two, seventy-three. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we what the this thing was really kind of a. Uh, a slap in the face, so to speak, towards Nader? Yeah, yeah, it was a slap in the face of all the... I mean, as it was going, we were going to have a, a, a speed limit of uh, 11 miles an hour if those people keep on going on the bottom, you know. So mm-hmm. we didn't... Uh, we, we wanted to go and back up. So uh, that's, what, that's what to start. To have. Okay. I, that was basically a challenge, and car and driver was behind him, and he, he decided he would really stuff it to Ralph Nader and do this crazy uh, speed event to prove that speed doesn't kill and, uh, and and basically just stick it to the establishment. Well, now, I recall back then, because in seventy in the fall of 72 is when I got my driver's license, and uh, we still had a speed limit of, when Nixon was our president then, and we still had a speed limit of 75, 70 miles an hour down here in Florida. And yeah. gasoline, realistically, and, and and I remember this distinctly because I was pumping gas at a gas station, was twenty eight cents a gallon for right. for the cut rate, and about thirty two, thirty one, thirty two cents for Sunoco two sixty. So when they came out with that fifty five mile an hour, I could understand why you. I read, matter of fact, I wrote an article that you wrote. You said, "Look, we have Audubon style." roads here in the United States of America, but yet we are limited on our capacity to drive only because the government thinks they should levy those kind of uh, restrictions on on us as drivers. Exactly. Now, let me ask you a question, just to digress. Now, you've been all over Europe, and you've been in the United States, and you've driven all over the world. Would would it be fair to say, and I've lived in Europe, too, as a kid, and I've driven over there on the Autobahn and the Autostrada, would it be fair to say that the mindset of the driver in Europe is uh, probably a little bit more... Uh, conducive to high-speed driving and and focusing on the roads as opposed to the American driver, even though we have the roads, the roadways here to attain high speeds, it somehow seems to me, and, I, and you wrote an article about this too, about traffic, uh, that you know the mindset over there is completely different. They're far more respectful of drivers. They're far more um, capable of driving cars that are designed at higher speeds. We're here in America. We're just used to driving cushy cars and lollygagging down the road like driving your living room. Is that yeah, a- that's exactly, that's very, very true. I mean, uh, you could buy a, a Ferrari here in the United States and you'd still be running at the, at the same speed as, uh, you know, uh, as a 10-year-old Volkswagen. You know, it's just, uh, yeah. Do you- well, they also, Brock's already said that they also know so much more about their cars, about maintenance and uh, and, and lane discipline, and, and it's harder takes a long time to get a license and it's much harder to get a license so their whole their whole psychology of, of roads and speed and, and driving is uh, is a lot more respectful and also they're better drivers yeah they really are I mean think about the, the kids and the, the oh the, everybody drives in the United States I mean you, you from 
from about 12 years old to uh, 150 years old, people <laughs> drive around the United States. That's not true in the, in, uh, in Europe. Well, so what you're saying is when they reach a certain point, they realize, hey, look, we're not capable of driving anymore to the extent that we used to back in the old days, So now, or when we were younger, so basically they give up driving. Is that what you're saying, basically? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I know, and, and to elaborate on what Pam said earlier, in Europe in the 60s and 70s, when I lived over there, you had uh, to get a driver's license in Austria, for example, it was almost $2,000. You had to take an extensive test, which means you had to do a lot of the basic mechanicals, how a clutch works, how a hydraulic uh, uh, brake system work, how to tune up your engine, how to change oil, how to change a flat, how to use emergency equipment in the event that you did pull over and put up the little triangles like they have in Europe, which they don't do over here in the United States. Yep. And, 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 and you had to be at least 18 years of age to get a driver's license over there. And you're right, you had to go through a six-month schooling to get that. Where here in the United States, you just you get a learner's permit at 15, 15 and a half, and it's, it is frightening when you think about it. It, it really is. I mean, the the, the Terrible drivers in the United States. Uh, uh, not always, obviously, but they're, they're, you can be absolutely in that. Yes, still, be, still <laughs> be driving out there. Okay, hey, let me get back. Let me go back a little bit to the history. How you got? How did you get started being in, in the publishing business? In other words, you uh, there was an article I read that you started writing magazines when you were sixteen years old, and you were somehow influenced by your dad because your dad was a very uh, well known. Journalist himself, correct? Yes, my dad was a very, very good writer, and and uh, he 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 was, yeah, I, I, he was, he was the man that got me understanding in the, in this world. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know where I would have done if you, you hadn't been in this. Where did uh, where did he? Um, what what he wrote for what certain publications in the twenties and the thirties, right? Popular mechanics and. Um, yeah. Yeah, Herald, uh, the, uh, the Herald Tribune. Herald Tribune. Oh, the Herald Tribune, really? That's a New yeah. York paper, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Big New York newspaper. I think he was the first radio TV columnist that they had. He was a brilliant man. I never met him. I came along after he passed away, but he yeah. was so dimensional. Yeah, he was a great guy. So, did, was your dad really into cars a lot? I mean, did he have some automotive background, and did he influence you from from that perspective as well as the journalist perspective? Uh, yeah. I mean, we always had uh, kind of, uh, yeah. We, of course, in those days there wasn't any appearing cars, and but he, yeah, he was he was in 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 the game. Okay. I said uh, his mother actually took him to. She loved racing. She was a she was a real character, and uh, uh, both Brock and I are only children. But he she used to didn't she take you to see the the, the midgets on the dirt run yeah. the dirt track? Yeah. So his mom, I think, was more, was more of a car guy than yeah. his father yeah, was. That's right. Well, that's yeah. good. That's great that your mom was actually into it too. So basically, you were influenced by both your parents. That's a fortunate situation. Exactly. Yeah, it was. It was in the blood. Now, in the early days, did you actually do any? Um, what did you actually do any kind of racing at all? I mean, now you went in the military in 1955, correct? And you were I, on a destroyer escort as a lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I did a lot of right, uh, racing. Okay. Uh, yeah. Was that before then, or was that after then? After Be- that. After that. Okay. And what style of racing did you get involved with? What type of? Oh, uh, 24 hours at Daytona. Oh, really? 
Oh yeah, and, and a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, like that. Sports cars. Sports cars. Okay. What were some of the cars that you drove back then? Jaguars, mostly. Jaguars. Interesting. Okay. Well, they like early E types and stuff, or did you get mm-hmm. into? Okay. Speaking of Jaguars, you were pretty good friends with Dave Heinz because Dave Heinz ran the Cannonball with you, and he was out of Tampa, Florida, correct? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he I was... haven't heard their name for a long time, but yeah, he was he was in the game. Yeah. Now he raced a XJ6 in what the late seventies, and he actually won one year, didn't he? I think didn't he win seventy nine mm-hmm. when the, we did the last run for the movie? Yeah, I think he did. I think he did. Yeah, I think that's when he did. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, he was a real nice guy because I used to go over to the dealership. He was off Hillsborough Avenue, and I used to go over there and just look at some of the really cool British cars. And once in a while, he'd have some unusual vintage race cars back there. So yeah. he was a very nice man. Very nice. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, so when you got when you were at Daytona, and so what was it like for you? What year would have that been? Do you remember? Was that like early late sixties or was it early seventies when you raced at Daytona? Early seventy. I think it was seventy-one. Seventy-one. Okay. Um, now let me ask you this: When you, when you, what decided, what made you decide to kind of compete in that race? Was it just an opportunity, or is it because you? Oh, I, I've been racing around, um, and uh, this was one of the big races, and I was I was running, running quite a bit in those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just one of the one of the best ones uh, on the circuit. Uh, on the circuit, so uh, we went. Yeah, the Daytona 24 Hours. I mean, that's the race of races here in the United States of America, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's that was that was that would have been a great opportunity. Um, now, some of the other stuff that you did, you you've, you've done some announcing. You were involved with uh, CBS for a while. You've covered NASCAR. Yeah. And uh, so, what was that like back in those days? Well, it was fun. We uh, did quite a bit of it, and um, it was pretty much like it was today. Although probably the <coughs> the Oh, it wasn't this uh, up up to speed and yeah. Sophisticated. Yeah. Was, okay, sophisticated and technical like it is today. Yeah. Not so formula today. It was mm-hmm. a little bit more rough and ready in those days. Yeah. Uh-huh. He worked with David Hobson, Ken Squire, Ned Jarrett. Oh, okay. Those are very famous names, Ned Jarrett, Bill, and Hobbs. And, of course, Hobbs, was, uh, he's, he drove mainly sports cars, so he would probably would have been racing with you at the 24-hour race or Sebring or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was over in the U.S. at that point. I don't know. I think uh, he, he came over a little after that. Yeah, but he was, he was one uh, on the team, though. Okay. And then when you went to TNN, what did you do? Did you all, The American Sports Cavalcade, I remember that TV show, but I don't remember exactly. You kind of covered everything in, in the American Sports Cavalcade, correct? It was NASCAR, it was sports car, yeah. it was a little of everything. We did everything, include, uh, I mean, everything. Rodeos. Rodeos. Swamp buggy <laughs> right. Swamp buggy Swamp races. Buggies. I mean, it was, it was a whole bunch of stuff. He used to have to, he and Steve Evans, I remember, because I used to have to help suit him up, he used to... Sometimes have to dress in these rubber boots and stuff because they go into what they call the sippy hole, and God only knows what kinds of diseases and creatures <laughs> were living in there. And uh, at the beginning, Stephen Brock would, you know, kind of yell at John Mullen, who was a director, and say, "My God, you know, this is a little bit above and beyond the call of duty because yeah. it was almost terrifying." Yeah, what kind of racing was this supposed to be? You know, what. Well, now, how did that happen? So, in other words, it was originally, from what I understood, you're supposed to be automotive, but like you said, you covered other uh, other types of sports. Yeah, and uh, yeah. 
Yeah, at the beginning we did. Okay. Then it pretty much, oh, after a couple of years, we got all most most uh, motorsports back to motorsports. Okay. Now, when you guys did those TV shows, and was there was most of that stuff done live, or were there actual takes that you had to had a chance to kind of shoot something and then rehearse it? Or was it all just live and spontaneous and sp- and spot uh, spot um, spot on shows and uh, interviews? Yeah, we did some interviews and stuff, uh, you know, uh, in the, in the, the camp. But uh, for the most part, it was it was live, live, live. Okay, so anything yeah. goes. Just kind of like this live TV, live radio show we're doing right now. Anything's live, so it's kind of <laughs> exactly. cool. So, what other kind of hobbies do you uh, did you have back in those days? I mean, what you know, you were. I know you were a serious car collector. Tell us a little bit about some of the cars that you collected. Well, okay, I had I had some Indy cars, um, and uh, I had. Uh, um, well, what we've got now is yeah. the. Uh, we so just the reason that we're thinking is we just sold about four cars and. So now he's got the Cannonball Challenger, the original one. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, we've got a Novi. A Novi, okay. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh-huh. no- Novi, um, and I sent an email to you, and I wasn't sure whether you um, could decipher what I was trying to imply there, but I used to have a gentleman that was a real good friend of mine. He's still around, and uh, his name is Tweedy, and his, but his real name is Robert Aldridge, and he used to work for Carroll Shelby. He was the factory team race car painter. And he's from Medford, Oregon. But his dad worked on the Novi engine at Indy back in the day. And his name, I believe, I'm not sure what his first, I think it was Ron Aldridge. But does that name ring a bell to you at any time? I mean, did you follow Indy back in the old days? Were you? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I there. Yeah. I, it, it, it rang, yeah, I probably, you know, it's way, way back. But mm-hmm. I think I've heard that guy, that name. Okay. I also had, uh, let's see, who else did I have? I had Dave um, Bowman, who used to be on the TV show, which I'm sure, I know you know him. Is uh, He was on the TV show Two Guys Garage. He was one of the original guys with uh, Sam Amelmo. And uh, he used to work for an IndyCar team back in the uh, mid-60s. And I think he worked with uh, when Ford had the quad cam motors. Or the quad, yeah, the quad, uh, the, the four cam engines. And he worked with them for a while. And uh, so I know you had a number of IndyCars. And so... What type of Indy cars did you have besides the Nova? The Nova was actually a recreation for you, wasn't it? It was specially built for you? Yeah. yeah. The one did you have? Okay. Yeah. And that was... The Jim Hurtabies. It's a copy of the one that Jim Hurtabies ran. And as a matter of fact, his son, Andy Hurtabies, uh, is a great young man, and he's picked up the Nova just recently, and I think he's going to drive it in his father's honor at the uh, 500 uh, parade. Wow. So uh, we're kind of Brock's going to go out, and we're, he's kind of excited to see it sure, out there. Fun. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a legendary moment right there. That's yeah. going to kind of authenticate the car a little bit for you. Yeah. yeah. And Andy uh, drove it at Watkins Glen in the Historics and did a couple of laps, and uh, he's so excited because he's he and his dad were very close, and he's a great car kid himself. But uh, this car is, means an awful lot to him, so he's just in his glory. Yeah. The uh, for the uh, other cars that you had. Now you sold a few cars at the uh, Amelia Island auction, right? A couple of your cars went through the through the auctioneer as part of your collection. Yeah. Yes. And uh, it's three, I 
Uh-huh. What is it like? I mean, when you those are those cars you've had for a long time. Those are kind of like your buddies, your best friends, you know. So when you see those cars go across the auction block, do you kind of follow where they went and who got them, and you kind of kind of visit them once in a while? I mean, you know, I'm sure it's a big emotional thing for you. I know, I know it would be for me. So I'm just trying to get your feedback on it. Yeah, I. Uh, but after the cars were gone, and I knew that they were sent to good people and the cars were going to be, you know, taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sort of lost just lost you know, contact with them. Lost yeah. contact with them. Okay. But they're they're always they're they're in good homes. Good homes. But he did we have kept the the three that are, he has a more emotional connection with, which of course the challenger is Oh yeah. is the car. It's the original Cannonball Challenger and and then the Novite, since he had it built, and then he's got the Eliminator, which when he picked that car out, everybody thought he was nuts. It is the ugliest junkyard dog you'd ever seen. But he, you know, he knew the value and he knew the history of it, so he kept saying, trust me, and I kept saying, yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, and it turned out to be a Pebble Beach winner, so I had to eat my word. <laughs> Now, for our listeners, the 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 Eliminator is basically an old hot rod, isn't it? Out of the fifties, yeah. is that what it was? Yeah. So, sure is. tell us a little bit about the the history of that car. Well, Duffy it was started by a man by the name of Duffy, Duffy Livingston, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, yeah in California, and uh, then we bought it and uh, start to and at the beginning he was in it he was in it with us a little bit. But he was getting older, and, and we finally got the car, and we just started to race with it, and then we raced it uh, pretty much all around the country. Well, one in Monterey Historic. Yeah. We, and we laughed because Brock was doing the uh, work for the um, sports cavalcade, and uh, we hired a driver to drive this bucket, this little kind of unsophisticated, un-aerodynamic-looking car, and it was compete going to compete and Brock was doing the on camera work so we 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 watched the driver compete with all these expensive Ferraris and Jaguars and I mean multi million dollar cars that were all buttoned up and looked so svelte and great <laughs> and this little tiny ugly bucket of uh-huh. car basically blew their sneakers off. We won the race. We won the race, and oh, really? the crowd went nuts. And uh, <laughs> everybody was cheering because it was it looked like the underdog. Yeah. And okay. it was great fun. It was very, it was very fun. I mean, we had Ferraris and Maseratis and all kinds of really good cars, and we sucked them all. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> it Let- was fun. The um, the other car that you had, okay. So the Novi was dedicated, was kind of like a, a, a commemorative car. The the um, the uh, the little Eliminator was also kind of a really cool vintage car with a tremendous amount of history. And what's the third one that you have? The Challenger. Oh, Challenger. Oh, that's right. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Now, why did you pick a Challenger um, for that particular event for the uh, Cannonball or for the uh, Sea to Shining Sea Cannonball Bake uh, Cannonball? One of these days I'll get this right. I don't know why that is such, such a repeat after me. Okay. Cannonball. Cannonball. Sea to Shining Sea. Sea to Shining Sea. Memorial. Memorial. 
Trophy Dash. Trophy Dash. I did it. Eureka. I said you it. You got it. Now you got it. <laughs> okay, great. So, <laughs> so anyway, why did you uh, why did you pick the Challenger? And when it's so because there's so many other cars you could have dr- driven. I mean, you had a huge choice. Choice. Yeah. So, so why was the Challenger so unique for you? Well, we had the car. Okay. And uh, Chrysler gave it to you. Yeah, Chrysler gave it to us. Okay. And it was a really well. I mean, it was a really good car. It was had all the best stuff on it uh, of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, we ran ran really hard with it. Well, you had uh, you did restoration work on it, yeah. not knowing yeah. all the restorations yeah. on it, I guess. And that that was a time you were really plugged into NASCAR, so I'm sure that was a link with Cotton. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think if you go on, we didn't know it, but if we were we went to look my son-in-law Todd went to look up something on the Challenger and he went to Cotton Owens website of course we're old timers we don't even use the internet like that and right on the internet is a Cotton Owens uses the Challenger as part of his uh, his advertising page on on the website oh really yeah. yeah yeah so it was very cool and Brock was very close to Curtis Turner that was his. I think I think that's the man he loved most in his life. Uh, I didn't meet him; he died before I met Brock. But God, he sounds like a real incredible guy. He was. He was the best. He now was. he raced the late fifties, early sixties. Curtis Turner did, and I think he drove Fords, didn't he, for a while? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And did he, was he with the Holman Moody team? Is that who he was with, or was he, he uh, Woods Brothers? He was. He was in uh, several. Ter- but yeah, most of the time with with yeah with them with Holman and Moody. Okay, yeah. uh, Lee's, Lee was a former guest on the radio show too. Lee Holman. As a matter of fact, in two weeks we're having the the National Shelby Convention is at VRI Virginia International Raceway. It's the end of the month, and uh, Lee Holman will be up there with some of his uh, old classic cars. And I think he said he might bring a couple of NASCAR. So that should be a real good show. Yeah. So uh, if you get a chance, you got to sh- show up for that. Yeah. What is it? Two when weeks. Is that? It's the weekend of the twenty seventh, twenty eighth, and 29th of May. And it said, uh, he'll be in you'll be in Indy, but you'll be in Indy. Oh, that's right, Indy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, what about the the Sonoma the Wine Country Classic? I was talking to Judy Stropis, and I guess they're doing the uh, Wine Country Classic, or I guess it's called the Sonoma His- Sonoma Historics, or out at Sears Point. It's the weekend of the second, third, and fourth. Is that uh, are you going to be around for that weekend, or are you going to be at Indy that weekend too? You mean June? June, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. You better not be. Well, I'm having a family reunion. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he should. You know, you never know. You never family know. reunions. <laughs> I had an old racer buddy, of me, a long, racer buddy of mine a long time ago. He used to joke with me. He says, well, you know, Robert, racing's more important than anything else. So racing's more important than this, more important than that, and more important than making a living. But uh, you got to have, you got to be able to make the living. You got to be able to have the family because you need the family support. And that's what, kind of what keeps uh, the whole thing that, that's the continuity. When it all distills down, yeah, you know, exactly. it's friends and family. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. Tell us about some of the books that you wrote. You wrote a number of books over the years, and uh, what of the books that you wrote? And uh, they're always period. They're always period. I'd say I don't want to say period correct, but they're they're significant to what went on at the time in the industry. Most of the books that you wrote. So, and and I'm I'm kind of a historian, so I kind of like talking about the old days and uh, most of my listeners really are between 40 and 75 years old in fact i had a couple guests just pop in here i hadn't seen one gentleman uh mr Vern Gould. he's sitting over there in the corner and then we got george antia he's sitting over in the other corner real good listeners and friends of mine 
And uh, these, all, they love the show because they love hearing all the legendary guys like you on there. So, um, but anyway, getting back to the books. So, what are some of the books that you really, really enjoyed? I mean, you really, you know, heart and soul um, that the meant best, a lot to you. The best one was Sunday Driver. Sunday Driver, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And tell that's us a little bit about that. Go ahead well, and elaborate on that one. one and uh, we, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was that in that period. And, uh, Life on the road. And uh, on the road, and um, it was a really successful book. We had we had a lot of a lot of well, and then we uh, then we did the Cannonball. Uh, okay. Oh, you wrote the book. That's right. Yeah, which the movie was based on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it, it it's not just the movie. It takes you through, you know, all his machinations and thinking about the event, and then actually, you know, finding some idiots like him to go along <laughs> with it and uh and you know to start the real start and finish the real deal and then the last one that i participated we did in, we did it together uh and that was the one that we used a lot of the vignettes for the movie yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay but, you know you should really i think the most important book you've ever written is the, the decline. decline and fall of the american automobile yeah. industry yeah. it's written in uh 1981, but it was uh, it was really the best book I'm, at that time on the uh, on the American uh, industry. And he predicted in that book, Robert, and he was really persona non grata for that book and for uh, Colin. <laughs> not that he has not always been persona non grata in many places. <laughs> that's part of his charm. Um, he had written a, a column or a story for Car and Driver called Gross Point Myopians. Right. And uh, it was the first time he took a real hard shot at Detroit and the insular uh, machinations the- of, of the industry out there. Okay. And they just were furious. Oh, God. And then in 81, he was approached to write this book, and, and it was prophetic because he predicted in 1981 that the collapse of the American automobile industry was just around the corner. Well, there was an article that I read, too, um, and he was right. I mean, look at the junk that we built from 1973 to really 1991, 92, in the early 90s, and we just got our butts handed to us by the Japanese and the Germans, yep. of course. And the garbage that we built, and then it's funny, and, I'm, and I was going to ask, who kind of influenced that book as far as some of the people that you may have interviewed for the book, because I know at that time Iacocca made the transition from Ford Motor Company to Chrysler, and he gets all this credit for bailing out Chrysler, but what they neglect to tell you is is that he got bankrolled by the U.S. government, no different than Obama's doing this deal with General Motors. Um, And so he sells all this defective junk, and not that I'm not a Chrysler fan, but at the time, you know how anything is specced out for the government, and the government some, and I try to keep the show non-political, but the government just doesn't know how to do anything right. And uh, so they get in there, and, and of course Iacocca sells all these cars and trucks and motorcycles and miscellaneous stuff to the government, and they buy all this stuff, and of course it's at the expense of the taxpayers. But the quality of the cars, the type of cars that we were building, were really junk. And your your comment was very valid and very correct, and that is, if we keep building junk like this, we will not be competitive, we can't do anything we can't build anything right our nobody wants this stuff and the japanese just 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 blew right past us and look at the quality of the cars um so that supports and your book really really like you said it was it was prophecy 
And and when you look at what's going on now, I mean, General Motors, there was another article that you wrote, too, not too long ago, where you said that, well, you know, Chevrolet and Cadillac may be the only survivors of General Motors. Ford yeah. will lose Mercury. Chrysler, we don't know what's going to happen to them. They might be little Fiat Tupolinos for all we know in the next couple of years. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, how do you how do you feel about that? I mean, you're, you're a car guy. How do you feel that the United States is losing its edge in the automobile industry? Well, I think it is uh, it, it is right now. Uh, you know, in five years or ten years, uh, we've got to get back under uh, under uh, where the Japanese and uh, some of the Europeans are doing. Uh, if we not, we're we're going to be out of the business. Chinese. Well, yeah, and now you're right. You're, the Chinese are coming in, the Koreans are coming in, and yep. uh, probably the one mark. And I know you're a real car critic, but look at the Hyundai. It's evolved. We used to make fun of that car in the early 90s, back when I was in the salvage yard business. I mean, it truly was a throwaway car. Look sure. at it today. It goes down the road. It looks like a Mercedes-Benz. I know. Boy, they've gone so good. And, and, and over a pretty short, you know, period. yeah. About so 20 years, 15 years. But at any rate, okay. So that book, in other words, was prophecy, and there's a lot of validity to that. And do you still, I mean, uh, you know, Today, I mean, do you still go out there and still write articles? I know you're semi-retired or retired right now, and I know you're having a good time, but do you still go out and write articles and make comments on, on you know, I basically take jabs at uh, the, the Detroit industry? No, not right now. No. You're, <laughs> you've, you're done with it, right? You said this. I, I, I had my chance. I said my piece, and, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen, right? He's really doing, which is kind of neat, and he never wants to talk about it because he kind of devalues it is he's sketching and he's working on his art and he's a wonderful wonderful pen and ink artist and as a matter of fact he the first thing he ever sold to sports car illustrated was a sketch and um he he stayed away from it for several decades and now since he's uh kind of semi-retired he's gone back to it and he's he's cranking out some really neat stuff so it, it, a, lot of, a lot of car stuff. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> what do you think he, he sketches? But he's very good, and uh, well, he may even be working on doing a book of his sketches. So yeah. it's kind of a new direction for him, and low-key, and we maybe enjoy our lives a little bit. Well, that's fascinating. You know what? I'd like, I wouldn't mind uh, getting a copy of that. And you know, it's interesting. You talk about we had Sam Posey on a couple of weeks ago, and I did not know that he was an architect. So it's amazing how many of you legendary people in the motorsports industry have other hobbies and careers and things that you do. Like we've had Mario Andretti on. He's an opera singer. I mean, that's kind of neat. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, he's wow. Da- yeah. Hey, well, I- he's Italian. You know, I'm half Italian. I have to understand that. <laughs> okay. Hey, well, I- you know, the other thing that uh, I don't know if you know about Sam Posey is that he has, in the basement of his house in Connecticut, the most incredible dioramas and train, uh, miniature train uh, dioramas. Really? That you, get, that you go down there, and it's like entering a museum, and they're absolutely up to scale. They're perfect. They're fabulous. And, you know, nobody really knows about it, and he doesn't. He's written from for some train magazines, yeah. uh, collector chain and miniature train magazines. But God, Sam's stuff is fabulous. Well, and I was also reading. We didn't talk about it on the show, but he also designed the uh, tower at uh, Lime Rock. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he did. So uh, he, another again, another, you know, all you guys have these hidden talents, you know, which uh, it's amazing, and, and and more and more of that stuff should be exploited. Hey, real quickly, I got a friend of mine that just sat in, just walked in the studio here. His name's Alan. He'd How like to ask. Doing? 
He'd like to ask you a quick question, Brock. Sure. Okay. Hey, um, I have a. How are you doing? This is Alan. <laughs> Mr. Yates, or anyway, and Pamela. Hey, uh, uh, I got a car and driver magazine, 15, 20 years old. There's an article about you and Gurney in it. Is that an April Fool's article, or was that real? You took the um, Daytona across the country and got arrested. This is like 10, 15, 20 years ago. What's the validity of that little article? Oh, it's absolutely true. Oh, it yeah. was? Okay, good. Because I saw Dan Gurney at Sebring in 03, and I asked him the question, but he just gave me the the rehearsed answer. No, Cannonball Run, blah, 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 blah. But obviously, I didn't get my, an- my question clear enough. Now I have. Okay, so you guys really did take the car out again and get arrested. That picture of you where you looked really great, like you hadn't slept in a week. <laughs> and so all that was, that was a tr- okay, good. Now I can die in peace. <laughs> now, now I know. Boy, I have to know in life. That's, you. That, that's really good, Alan. Yeah, I'm going down and you're going up. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Alan actually has, don't you? you got a huge collection of old car and driver uh, magazines. Yeah, you walk in my bedroom, it smells like you know, musty got, magazines. Yeah, I just opened up a old road and track. It's got an article about Jim Rathman winning Indy, and you know, just I got the old musty magazines. I got a magazine with Car and Driver. Your column says you're hammering David E. Davis for one reason or another, and then there's an edit, editorial column that says, "Hey, I'm David E. Davis. I'm back," and all in the same issue. <laughs> hey, I want to thank you guys for coming on. I just got the thirty second warning here, but Pam and Brock, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. You guys take care of yourself, and maybe I'll see you at some of the future events and definitely at Amelia Island next year. How about that? Absolutely. Thank you very okay. much. Thanks, pal. All right. Take okay. care of yourself. See you. Bye. Hey, everybody. We're headed off to uh, Naughty Nancy's. Uh, don't forget our anniversary show next week. Our guest tonight, our special guest, was Brock Yates and his lovely sidekick and wife, Pamela. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Stay safe. Drive carefully. And uh, America's number one. So buy American, right?